You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So uh, today we're going to keep it a little bit short for a couple reasons. Number one, I'm not feeling good at all. And i um, kind of forcing myself to do this as much as I want to because I want to talk about this because this has been an awesome couple days. I just, I don't know, kind of kind of roughing it. Number two, the draft is coming up, so I want to get this done pre-draft, and I also want to make sure I'm upstairs for the draft. And I think there was another one, but I don't know, and it doesn't matter. But um, we're there's definitely a lot to talk about, and I appreciate all of the uh, the questions and the comments that have come in, because there's a lot of good stuff that I want to talk about. I'm sorry I haven't gotten to it yet. There's just too much right now. So once things calm down, we'll start turning our attention to that and really start kind of looking at what we got. But... Let's talk about Mr. Elton Jenkins, which I am very glad you don't have to say the G, because that is a tough thing to say. And uh, we're going to talk about Jay Sternberger, which I feel like you could have just etched that one in stone. I feel like I was more confident in the Packers taking Jace in the third round than I was with whatever we were going to do at with our uh, with our number 12 overall pick. And interestingly enough, had I done a mock draft, I probably would have nailed the third round pick and gotten 12 wrong. I've been talking about Jace for a while. But anyways... Um, Couple preliminaries, and then we'll we'll uh, take a break and dive in. Numero uno, thank you very much to everybody that donated for the 400th episode. That was very very cool of you. Um, thanks also to everybody who's uh, jumped in on uh, the merch. And I I don't know if I actually put a link here. I said I was going to, and I didn't. I apologize. I'm looking at my my little my little links page, and it's definitely not here. So I apologize. I'll get that on there probably today, unless I'm lying again. But uh, thanks for that. I appreciate that. Be sure to at least check those out. Otherwise, ratings and reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you can find them are always very, very much appreciated. Be sure to send me a, uh, a snapshot or whatever you can find or gather of your five-star review, and I will enter you into the contest. And when we get to 200 uh, reviews, I'll be handing out a PFF Edge subscription. And I apologize for the soft tones. Not only am I speaking softly because I'm not feeling great, but for whatever reason the microphone was turned down. So I'll be cranking that up a little bit over time. Because <laughs> I don't think this is going to be a very loud podcast. Anyways, we'll take a break and uh, we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So with our second round pick, we end up drafting Elton Jenkins. There was a little bit of trepidation at first because people are wondering why we drafted a center, but he is he's, he's an offensive lineman, um, primarily an interior offensive lineman, but he's done everything from tackle to guard to center. 
So he's going to come in and play guard, and um, I'm feeling pretty good about it. it uh, overall, what the Packers are doing, you know, it, it kind of goes, flies in the face of the whole best player available. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure teams do it, but it's definitely not a coincidence that almost every team is going right down their list of needs, and the Packers are no different. If you were to ask what I thought the biggest need we had was, it was safety. We addressed it. Another really big thing that we got to figure out is is offensive interior or guards. Now you could maybe say Billy Turner is the answer, but I don't really know. You could say, well, we got Cole Madison back, but I still just don't really feel good about it. And it'd be nice to just try to go out and really find a stud. And maybe we got one. Maybe we got a couple already, but I don't think this is going to be a problem either way. If we walk away from those three guys having two of them being a stud and one of them being a solid backup, including Lane Taylor being, you know, continuing to be a great backup, we're right back to where we were, man. We got to figure out a right tackle spot at some point. Maybe we'll address that today, or if not, then we've got next year in free agency to, to figure that out. Or again, extend Balaga as a possibility. Then we just need to try to find a backup because there are some injury concerns with him. Just in general, I mean, even even Bakhtiari, as much as he's not prone to injuries, anything's possible. But we addressed the guard spot, and then, of course, we wanted to get a, a pass catcher or a receiver, and there's a lot of concern about tight end in particular, as much as, you know, I've... Eh, it's, hard, it's hard to say. I, I, I wanted a number two receiver, wide receiver, period. But there's also a lot more opportunity that we already have good wide receivers on the roster, right? It's just a matter of what Brian Gutekunst thinks of the guys that we already have. Tight end is a problem, not because it's impossible that the guys we have step up. That is entirely possible. But it's we, we don't have any good youth on the team. And I know we do have one guy on the team who has some potential. But, you know, w- without trying to put him down because he's got some upside. I'm talking about Tanyan for those that, that don't know what I'm talking about. I think it's unrealistic to expect him to be kind of what we need. Like Tanyan. If he ends up making Sternberger a wasted pick because he's just a freak in the NFL, great. But outside of fandom, it's just unrealistic, right? He, he can be a solid role player for the team, and I look forward to that. But, you know, we, we, we need to take a swing at a, a potential real good tight end. So, in other words, I do think that that was a need, and we also, will say, filled that need. So, yeah, we're, we're just kind of going down the line. And, you know, we can kind of nitpick and say, well, we didn't address this need or that. Well... We've only had four picks, and we addressed four needs. You could argue that edge rusher um, or whatever Rashawn is going to end up playing is not a need, but uh, I, I, to some degree, disagree with that. It's always hard to say because you got Zadarius and Rashawn that can kind of be interchangeable on the inside and the outside. But the bottom line is, between outside linebacker and defensive line, in our base at least, we need five guys, and I think we have four really... See, and, and, and even that... I don't want to pretend as though we went out in free agency and got freaks. I think Zadarius is going to be very good. I think Preston is going to be quite good. But we're not, I mean, we're not talking about Khalil Max, And that's that's kind of another, again, not trying to be pessimistic, just a little bit more realistic. The reason we could say it's still a need is because we still could use one more guy to have a total of five. And beyond that, we've got two guys that are, I would say, good, not great. Zadarius has the potential, I think, to be great but we'll say good, not great. And then there's a steep drop-off. No disrespect to Kyler, but it's a pretty big drop-off down to Kyler Fackrell. So with our GM saying um, that he is determined to make this a strength of the team, the defense as a whole, he seems to be hitting real hard. He wants to fix it. He essentially wants to do what Ted Thompson really struggled to do, uh, at least over the last several years. And in particular, wanting to get um, 
pass rush help, primarily uh, outside linebacker help. So he, he took it very seriously, and we addressed that need at 12. So I guess sort of the question is, and we'll talk about those two guys in particular, but sort of the question looking forward is, what other needs are there? And they're, again, similar to what I was saying all through the, the second round, there's still a lot of talent. And maybe it's just because I'm a little bit been paying more attention this year, and I know a lot more names, but I'm going through the list of guys that are available. It's like, man, there's a lot of guys here. Some of them that were expected to be second-round guys. A few of them actually had potential to be first-round. Hakeem Butler, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Julian Love. Oh, Deontay, I mentioned. I, I actually, did I say it in, I don't know if it was the live stream or on the podcast, but I had mentioned Deontay might not even get taken in day two, and he didn't. Very, very serious concerns about his athleticism. Um, I think he was kind of overhyped from the start, but I think, you know, the, the concerns started about him not being that great, and then he didn't run the 40, but beyond that, his the, the drills that he did do kind of point to a guy, apparently the thought is on him, they don't know if he can break 4-7 in the 40, which is horrible. But lots and lots of guys. But anyways, um, looking at Mr. Elton Jenkins, when I look at my spreadsheet, as far as centers, which is, you know, the list I had him on, he was actually number one. I had him ahead of Garrett Bradbury. I had him ahead of Eric McCoy. Um, so he was way up there. Um, if I actually combine it with guards, several of these guys, the centers were higher than all the guards. So he would have been the number one highest graded guard that I had ahead of everybody. Ahead of Lindstrom, ahead of Cody Ford, ahead of everybody. In fact, if you look at my big board, um, I had Elton Jenkins actually number um, number eight overall on my list, just to give you an idea of how good this guy is. So my list, and again, it's, it's not a perfect thing. It's I, I just call it like spreadsheet stuff because it's looking at different statistics and kind of weighting them. And also I take PFF, if you didn't hear my explanation about this already, which I kind of look at their grades as sort of like scouting. Right, so that so that's that's the scouting portion of it. I take the stats, and then I also look at their strength of schedule to kind of look at the school that they went to. But in order, I had Quinnen Williams, Kyler Murray, Andre Dillard, Christian Wilkins, Josh Allen, Chris Lindstrom. Oh wait a minute, I lied. I'm sorry. Chris Lindstrom would have been ahead of him, but Chris Lindstrom, Jermaine Pratt, and then Elton Jenkins. So what is it that made him so awesome? Well, first of all, Mississippi State, and I, and I don't weight strength of schedule very highly. But it's a big school, so there isn't a lot of concern. And, and when I went back and, and watched him a little bit, the one game, again, if you search him on Google, the first game that's going to come up is Alabama. And he got beat. He did get beat a couple times. But watching him go toe-to-toe with Quinn and Williams and just stand the guy up, and I'm not talking about he had help. I'm talking about out in the middle of nowhere by himself. Quinnen's trying to get free, and he just can't get away from him. And a couple times he got put on his back. That by itself is pretty impressive. But, you know, he went to a big school. He played up against some big boys. Running through his criteria here, if you look at the pass-blocking grades uh, via PFF, uh, he was ninth out of 20, which is, which is not, you know, it's middle of the pack, but his overall grade was an 83.9, which is a very good grade. His pass-blocking efficiency, he was 11th out of 20, which essentially is, is more of a stat. His pass-blocking grade was PFF grading him. Uh, pass-blocking efficiency is more of a, you know, looking at how many sacks and things that were given up. As a run blocker, he graded out eighth. Now, none of these seem significant, but the, the I think the interesting dynamic here is the fact that you got guys that are one or the other, right? So if you if you were to look at this list, what I did is I just sorted run blocking. All those guys that were at the top, like Ross Pierschbacher as being great pass blockers, he's near the bottom as a run blocker. So actually, he's seventh uh, as far as his run blocking grade via PFF, and then he's tenth on his run success percentage. So when they ran um, toward El- Elton Jenkins... Was it a successful play? And then finally, one of the things that of course matters is going to be the relative athletic score. 
and obviously he's a freak. He was the third highest relative athletic score among centers. Connor McGovern and Garrett Bradbury are the only ones that were above him. So he was number one overall. Why? Because he's well-rounded, which really seems to be a theme with the Green Bay Packers. And it makes me happy because I, I don't like the, you know, this guy's really good at this one thing or he's really, really fast, but he's, you know, he's whatever. There is some risk to being, you know, it's, it's like I talk about the Venn diagram. You got two things. Well, are, are you good enough to do both of those things or are you not good enough to do either? But I, I, I don't like the idea of getting somebody that's a freakish pass blocker that has no ability to run block. I know pass blocking is more important, and if you got to pick one, of course you're going to pick pass blocking. But I think with Elton Jenkins, what you're getting is a very good pass blocker who's, who's gone toe-to-toe with the best in college football, and he's, he's held up. Right? He lost a couple, but he can hold up, and, and you know he can do it. He's also a capable run blocker, which is going to be really important. And you, you tie in that relative athletic score, you got a guy who is athletic enough to to move, to get to that second level, which is going to be very beneficial for LaFleur, who wants to run the ball, and he wants guys that can move, and he can do all that stuff. But again, the, the main criteria, can you pl- pass block, the answer is yes. So he checks every single box. The Packers felt it was necessary, and, and you know, similar to what I said yesterday with, with uh, you know, Rashawn Gary, the, the fact that they didn't move back, and I know it's not a, a supermarket kind of situation, but there was a lot of movement in the second round. There were a ton of trades. I'd be willing to bet they could have got something, and, and they could have recouped a fourth-round pick. I'd be willing to bet. The fact that there were so many guys, I wanted them to trade back so badly. Just because there were so many talented guys, the, the second round started just ridiculous. So many players that I could not care any less about. But they wanted to stay. They wanted to make sure they got Elton Jenkins. And I like that. It, it, it instills confidence in me that this guy is the guy. It's not just a pile of guys and who cares. Right? That's how I view it, but that's not how the Packers view it. And that's not how they view Elton Jenkins. They were not willing to lose Elton Jenkins and take one of the many guys they could have got that would have been great picks as a consolation. That's not good enough for them, which is crazy and awesome. But I'm going to take a little mini break here, and then we'll talk about Jace before we move on to today. So with Jace, um, I, I, I've mentioned him before because I, I knew that it was a very good possibility that the Packers really wanted him, and I, I felt like if he did fall to them, which wasn't a guarantee that they would take him at three, and that's exactly what happened. But I, I've watched him, and I, I like him a lot. And I'm, I'm, I hope I've demonstrated that I'm not just a homer um, because I'm going to sound very homerish when I say this. I don't know how much better Noah Fant is than Jay Sternberger. I know he runs faster. I know he's way more athletic. I'm just saying when I watch him, right? Because I mean, and that's happened with several people. I, you know, I was told Nasir Adderley is the best safety in the class, and I watched him. I just didn't get it. And then I watched Taylor Rapp, and I loved it. I was told Noah Fant was a freak, and maybe it's just expectations, right? When you have higher expectations and it doesn't meet those expectations, you tend to be a little lower on somebody. I was told Noah Fant is a freak among freaks, and he's one of the greatest, and all this stuff, and he's so fast, and I watched him, and it's like, eh, I guess. And then I hear about this random guy, Jay Sternberger, that's going to be flying out to Green Bay to have a private meeting with the Green Bay Packers, and it's like, well, I better check this guy out, and I watched him, and I thought, I really like him. Like, kind of everything I expected Noah Fant to be, I'm seeing a little more from Jay Sternberger. And it was actually funny if you look, listen to John Eric Sullivan talk about the pick for Jay Sternberger, and, and all the questions were laced with these assumptions about, you know, well, Jace isn't quite as good as the other guys and all this kind of stuff. And he kind of put that to bed. He, he didn't want to say because, he you know, everybody kept trying to poke, like trying to understand exactly how the board fell, and he wasn't going to he wasn't gonna let on to anything. But you get the distinct impression, not that he necessarily thinks that he's as good as Noah Fant, but he, he said that he's in that category. Like, he, he would hold him up with 
any of these guys. And uh, there was another question again, referencing the two Iowa guys at the top. And he kind of said, yeah, well, even those two guys, it's kind of in the eye of the beholder. In other words, eh, that's that's opinion that they're the best two. So, I mean, he, he didn't say Jace is their, their top guy. He probably would have gone in the second round if they thought that, even though, you know, you, you make picks based on where you think you can get him. But if you legitimately think he's a first-round pick, I don't know how you, you just, you know, trust that he's going to fall to three. But, no, I, I, I loved watching him play. I loved how he runs his routes. I loved um, how he catches the football. I loved the run after the catch. The speed seems evident. And, th- and that's the interesting thing here. You look at it and you say, well, they, you know who they're going to pick. They're just going to take these high relative athletic score guys. He does not have a high relative athletic score. 5-2-6 is what he had. And uh, the, the fact of the matter is I got him number five on my list of tight ends on my spreadsheet. TJ Hawkinson, CJ Conrad, Foster Moreau, Noah Fant, and then Jay Sternberger. The fact that he has the lowest relative athletic score of that group kind of speaks highly of what he's able to do in other categories, and that's what we'll talk about here. It was also funny, though, before I get into the spreadsheet, when I listened to his interview with the media, he um, he almost seemed offended that he's considered a a, uh, a receiving tight end, which it's, it's funny because everybody uses it as a compliment. Like, look, that's the way the NFL is going. You know, we need receiving tight ends. You're a great receiving tight end. You know, great yard after the catch, great with, uh, you know, yards per catch. And uh, he he just kept coming back to blocking and how he wants to be a good blocker and he believes he is a good blocker and all this stuff. So I, I thought it was kind of funny, but I also appreciated that. I mean, he, he just, I mean, a tight end carries a certain kind of connotation to it, similar to a linebacker. And it's kind of like a linebacker being praised for his ability to cover. And he comes out and he's like, yeah, that's cool and all, but I can also take your head off. It's just, there's just this element of toughness to Jay Sternberger, which is, which is good. And I don't think he's going to be a great blocker, but the fact that he takes that seriously and takes pride in it, I thought was pretty cool. But anyways, Texas A&M, obviously a relatively big program, so no concerns there. Um, His run blocking grade was not good. Again, he takes pride in it, but it is what it is. Uh, In fact, it was the lowest run block grade of all 15 tight ends that I have on my spreadsheet. So, you know, again, he he wants it, but he's Jimmy Graham, man. It's just, I don't mean that to sound arrogant. I mean, that's the kind of guy he's going to be. You you don't ask him to do that. He will on occasion, and he's going to want to. And, and by the way, before we continue on, and he addressed this as well, but what better situation for a tight end in the world is there than the Green Bay Packers? Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback. Matt LaFleur is your head coach. And you have Jimmy Graham teaching you how to be a receiving tight end, Mercedes Lewis giving you blocking tips. There has never been, never will be a tight end school like the Green Bay Packers right now. Offensive-minded guy like Matt LaFleur incredibly intelligent, accurate, phenomenal quarterback in Aaron Rodgers, and then Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis. Oh my goodness. This guy has all the tools in the world. I mean, and listen, if Jay Sternberger is a better tight end than Noah Fant, that that shouldn't really surprise anybody. I mean, it should a little bit because Noah Fant definitely has higher expectations, but just looking at that situation, especially in the long term, so Jay Sternberger isn't great in his rookie year. Okay, but if he ends up having a better career over time with Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback in Green Bay, having learned from Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis, he's got some serious opportunity. And let's not forget, Noah Fant went to the Broncos. So, I mean, you know, not the best quarterback situation. It's a defensive football team, and they've got some good wide receivers over there. So he's got some competition. Well, I don't know. I guess the Packers do too. But either way, I, I would not be surprised. We'll call that a bold take. It's a, I'm a little hesitant in the first year, 
especially if the Broncos want to play dink and dunk with their you know 70 year old quarterback and just let Noah Fant go get some yards. But I I would I I'll just I'll just leave it at I wouldn't be surprised if Sternberger has a better year than Noah Fant. Anyways, continuing on, um, it's all been pretty negative so far with the worst run blocking grade and a somewhat low relative athletic score. A little bit better of a pass blocker. Came in eighth, which is about middle of the pack. Noah Fant, surprisingly, was really high on that list. TJ Hawkinson was actually dead last. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I know people will be upset about that, but that is that is kind of an interesting thing, is that as far as PFF is concerned, they were not nearly as impressed with TJ Hawkinson as a blocker as a lot of other people were. As a receiver now, this is PFF's receiving grade. Jay Sternberger was number one, and not only was he number one, he had almost a perfect grade. I have very rarely ever seen a grade like this. He had a 99.1 receiving grade. 90 is elite. I think the only time I've ever seen a grade this high is, um, oh, the guy whose name I will never, ever remember because I always just want to say Ed Oliver, which is a really disrespectful thing. (laughs) Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald is the only one I remember seeing having like a 99 grade. And I don't even know if that was for the season or not. It might have been. But for him to have a 99.1 receiving grade really just goes to show that what I saw, when I turned on Jay Sternberger and I was blown away and I'm sitting there going, why do I feel like he's a better receiver than Noah Fant? then I come here and it's like, well, TJ Hawkinson had a 90.8, elite. Caleb Wilson had a 90.3, elite. Jay Sternberger, 99.1. So again, you know, take it with a grain of salt. PFF isn't perfect, but just go watch it yourself. Okay, fine, he's not that good. He's not that elite. And TJ Hawkinson's better. Fine. But how good is he? How wrong is PFF about this? I, I don't I don't know if I was as blown away to say, oh, this is the best guy I've ever seen. But I remember just loving watching him play. I mean, it was similar to Hakeem Butler, who's still available, by the way. When I watched him play, it just looks supernatural. The way he like, it just, he just flows, man. And I'm not talking about Hakeem anymore. It's a different thing. But watching him run, he just, it just seems so easy and so natural and so smooth the way he just moves around. And I think that's a huge asset for a guy who's going to be weaving in and out of, of zone defenses and stuff. For him to have that kind of, of, of movement ability. And no, he didn't have the, the greatest relative athletic score in the world, but so what? Noah Fant isn't running 4-4 either, right? So it's, I mean, that's, it's a different skill set, man. Um, looking at yards after the catch, Jay Sternberger was second on this list behind only uh, Trayvon Wesco out of West Virginia, another uh, real popular option. But again, Jace is right there with him as far as his ability with the ball in his hand, what he's able to do after the fact. His drop rate, which is another pretty important thing, um, he was sixth, which isn't bad. Uh, Drew Sample, TJ Hawkinson, CJ Conrad, Isaac Nauta, Foster Moreau were the guys that were higher than him. Uh, Drew Sample was number one with zero. Noah Fant, by the way, third from the bottom. And I, I, I don't mean to keep picking on him. I just, I just want to get that across that, you know, the idea that we ended up getting a third-round guy as a consolation prize. I don't buy that, man. I think he's really good. I think in terms of value, this might be our best pick. I love the safety we got, but you got to take into account he's a first-round pick that we traded up for. So again, talking about value, um, Elton Jenkins, I like him. I'm content with it. We'll see what he can do. Um, but the, the two guys I really, really like are the safety and the tight end, Jay Sternberger. Savage and Sternberger. Savage sounds a lot cooler to say, but again, value-wise, a third-round pick for Jace I think is an absolute steal. I, I really, really, really like him. But again, overall, my fifth highest-graded uh, tight end uh, on, in, in, on this list, and by far, according to Pro Football Focus, the best safety uh, receiving safety of the group. 
And if you haven't had the privilege of watching him yet, I would just encourage you to do that. Go check him out because the guy is just, he's so much fun to watch. And I'll be honest, there are times when it feels like work, you know, watching prospects. Then there are times when it's just an absolute privilege. Rashawn Gary kind of felt like work. I, I don't like saying that now that he's a Packer, but it did. Because you because with certain guys, you just got to kind of work hard to find out what it is they do well. And I, I came to appreciate him the more I watched him. I love how he gets up to speed. And the amount of speed he has just looks silly for his size. His potential and all that is there, but it, it, it doesn't get you fired up. It doesn't get me fired up. Some people, maybe it does. But watching uh, Savage play got me unbelievably fired up. Watching Jay Sternberger play gets me fired up. So I'm excited, man. I'm, I'm very excited about the guys that we've got so far. I think they're doing a great job. Uh, we're, we're hitting on a lot of needs, but we're not. I don't think we're reaching. I think Rashawn Gary has the potential to be a freak player. Now, there's a lot of question about, again, not trying to go backwards too much, but whatever. You know, how exactly do you use him? But if anybody knows that, it's Mike Pettin. And Mike Pettin is, apparently, this is what he wants. This is what we're needing on this defense as a guy just like this. This exact skill set. And he just happens to be one of the biggest freaks to be that kind of a guy. Again, we're talking about like a Michael Bennett type of guy. And think about how good Michael Bennett was for the Seahawks. That's essentially what we're looking looking at in a uh, Rashawn Gary type. So, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm fired up, man. And, again, this is the time for optimism, so let's just be optimistic. But there's, there's really no reason not to be. We, we got an edge rusher, or we'll call him a pass rusher. We got a safety. We got a, a guard, and we got a tight end. I mean, it's just falling perfectly in line. I know we wish we had gotten a wide receiver by now, but there's still some good ones out there. Speaking of, let's talk about some of the prospects that are available. We'll take a little break and uh, dive into that, and then we'll be done for today and get this draft rolling. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So the big name on the list right now is Hakeem Butler. Now, the the biggest problem here is you look at this and you say, well, he's obviously going to be gone in the fourth round and we don't pick until the fifth round. And that's that's probably true. Here's the thing, though. You look at this list and you look at some of the crazy picks that have happened so far. Are we really going to say, knowing past history, that there's no way Hakeem Butler falls? Do we remember Equinemia St. Brown? By the way, there's always wide receivers that fall, and the Packers seem to get all of them. So Hakeem Butler in the fifth round of the Packers would be the most Packers pick ever. 
Equinemius was supposed to be a second to third round pick, and look where we got him. What was it, sixth round? If you go back another year and look at D'Angelo Yancey, that was another guy that fell to the fifth round. He was supposed to be gone. Now, the, a lot of these picks aren't working out, but the, the, the point is, Yancey was supposed to be gone. He went in the fifth round of the Packers. You look a little bit later, Malachi Dupree was considered like a second, third round guy. He went in the seventh round to the Packers. Again, didn't work out. But I remember, I, and I, I didn't have a running list. I probably won't today. I, I don't know. I'm going to be upstairs just kind of kicking back on the couch. I'll try to keep track. But I remember when we took Malachi Dupree in the seventh round, I like jumped out of my chair. I was like, I, I, what? <laughs> I didn't know he was still around. I thought he went like three, four rounds ago. Crazy. So it, it's absolutely possible. It's, it, we'll call it unlikely, but he's falling. And there's a reason guys fall. And, you know, I mean, if he makes it to the fifth round, you got to wonder, do we even want him? But, um, you know, he, he's one of the guys that I've been banging the drum from for, for a while because he kind of just fits my criteria, which maybe is garbage criteria. I've got little quirks that I like. Like, I've talked about linebackers. I like guys that can hit, even though I know that doesn't really matter anymore. But I, I just like natural receivers. And, and to me, it just, I mean, again, he just looks bored out there. It looks so simple for him. Uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, I know we have already got a safety, but, um, you know, if he continues to fall, that's another one you got to wonder about. Julian Love, now this is something interesting too when you talk about cornerbacks, and I understand not wanting to take cornerbacks early, but I've I've mentioned in the past the idea of taking cornerbacks in the later rounds, because we still need depth if nothing else, right? We've got our starting guys, and um, you know, I mean, I guess we can get by with what we have, but it, it, it adds an extra added benefit of possibly getting a really good football player, right? So in other words, you're not making an announcement by getting a first or second round guy that we don't feel comfortable with our corners, we're going in a different direction. No, what you're saying is, we believe in our guys, we're just getting a little bit of depth, but at the same time, if the guys that we have don't take that big second-year leap that we're hoping for, if Kevin King doesn't stay healthy or play up to the standard that we hope for, um, then we've got somebody else that can come in and compete and, and compete with the potential of taking away those jobs. So I do like the mid to late round option. So, you know, in the fifth round, a guy like Julian Love, if he's available, I mean, again... He was talked about as a potential first-round prospect. It was unlikely he was seen as a, a more of a second-round guy, but could slip into the first. But absolutely nobody expected he was not going to be taken in the second round, and especially not in the third round. Um, Rennell Wren, who I just, I'm, I love Rennell Wren. I know we don't really need a defensive lineman, and um, his skill set is more of a, you know, I don't know, whatever. But Rennell Wren, I, I would love to take him just because I like the kind of football player that he is. Deontay Thompson, you know, I already talked about him, not super into it. Anthony Nelson, you know, edge rusher guy. Do we need another one? Not necessarily, but he's a very, very, very good football player. Um, Of course, although we already got our interior offensive lineman, um, Yalta Froholt would be fantastic because then I just get to say that forever and just annoy all of you with my fake Swedish or whatever his name is accent. But dude's got a crazy name and the Packers do appreciate those kinds of names. Um, Amani Aruarie, another guy that was expected to be gone by now, is still available. Marvell Tell has been sliding down the boards, and I don't know that he's going to be picked. I mean, I, I would expect him to be around in the fifth round, but what I had mentioned before about possibly getting another safety, especially a guy that would be more inside the box, Marvell Tell kind of fits that. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, he did not do very well at all as far as his um, his measurements, and I can look, and maybe I'm thinking of the, the Badger, because I know he was really terrible, so that might be what I'm thinking of. Nope, I got it very wrong. He has a very high relative athletic score. But anyways, that's an option. I was thinking of somebody else apparently, but he's an option at safety. Uh, Mac Wilson, I, I, I mentioned a long time ago that I like because he's my style of guy, and he's probably falling because he's my style of guy. He's just a Mac truck, which 
you know, his name is Max, so there you go. But we still do need a linebacker, and I would say if there's if there is still a glaring need, um, and again, we do, we do have we do have a linebacker we took in the third round that has the potential to really step up and be a solid player for us. But even if he does, we have two. We could still use a third. So I absolutely expect we'll be drafting a linebacker and uh, Mac Wilson. He'll probably be gone by the time we get there, but if he's around, that I think that would be a fantastic pick. Um, Omenahu is another big name, edge rusher guy. Uh, Blake Cashman, very, very high. Actually, you know what? Let's look at my list here real quick. Uh, Jermaine Pratt, I have the highest on my list. Doesn't really matter because the Bengals already got him, but I wasn't a big fan of his anyways. But he's highest up on my uh, my list. Blake Cashman, I actually have number two. So that would be a, uh, a, a real good pot- potential there. Um, real high relative athletic score, so he can move, which is going to be a, a big thing. You know the Packers aren't going to get guys that are stuck in the mud, so that has to be a qualification. Um, real good tackler. Well, I guess not, according to my grade, but he was in competition with a lot of really good tacklers. They're all linebackers, I guess, so doesn't look as impressive. Uh, Run-stop percentage grade was very, very high. Pass rush grade, very, very high. Uh, run defense grade, very, very high. Coverage grade was very high. Just across the board, right? And, and again, that, those are the kinds of guys that the Packers seem to be getting. They don't have weaknesses, right? They might not be super elite, unlike Jay Sternberger as a receiver, but it's just it's just across the board. Like, he just checks all the boxes, like Elton Jenkins. Is he number one in any category? I don't think so. But what is he bad at? Nothing. He's a very athletic guy that can cover, that can run, that can blitz. He can do it all. So I would be keeping my eye out for him. I got Ben Burkhurvin next on my list. He has not been drafted either. Be another name to keep an eye on. Obviously, Devin White is gone. Cody Barton. Cody actually went to the Seahawks, but he was next on my list. I think I'll kind of leave it at that. Blake Cashman is kind of my uh, my, my hanger-on. If we can get Blake Cashman, I'm pretty excited about that. The Cashman. But anyways, continuing on, uh, a running back real big thing, right? We, we've all been wanting to get that running back. We, we, we've all got guys that we really like at running back. I would expect the Packers to invest at some point. Um, I, I would, you know, again, I would take Blake Cashman over probably any running back available, so maybe six round or so. But you look at some of the running backs that are still available. There's still some good ones out there. Dexter Williams out of Notre Dame, Rodney Anderson, Ryquel Armstead, Travion Williams, which by the way, I'm trying to remember who it was. There was an interview that I had listened to that I thought was interesting. Um, it was one of the guys, it might've been Devin White, if, if I'm not mistaken, but it was an, in an interview and they, he always asked the question, who is the, the toughest guy you went up against? And it was pretty shocking, but he said Travion Williams is one of the toughest guys. Like you, you got to tighten up your tr- chin strap when you're going up against Travion Williams. So that was kind of crazy. That could be a good pick. Uh, Bryce Love out of Stanford, Justice Hill. I know uh, a lot of people really like him. Uh, Divino Zigbo, Karan Higdon, Miles Gaskin, so many names, man. Elijah Holyfield, Travis Homer, Alex Barnes. And, and, and again, the cool thing is a lot of these guys are, are um, you know, certain people's favorites, you know, guys that are probably going to be available in the sixth round. Now, in case you were wondering, am I sick that the Chicago Bears got David Montgomery? Yes. I feel like the Bears are having the best draft of anybody based on <laughs> the value that they have available, and that makes me very angry. I actually think they do a good job drafting. I mean, they, they've they've missed, but I they've done some stuff that has really impressed me. Um, or, or maybe I should rephrase that. I think Ryan Pace thinks like I think, which just means he's a bad GM, as what I would make a bad GM. That's how I'm going to say that from now on. I'm not I'm not going to say it the other way anymore. He's garbage because he's as dumb as I am. Burn. I got him. I nailed him. No, but they got my guy, man. They got David Montgomery. He fell right into the Bears' lap. I think he was. I I would argue. He was up there with Josh Jacobs, in my opinion, and um, the 
dumb Philadelphia Eagles took Miles. Why couldn't they take David Montgomery? Why didn't the Eagles take David Montgomery in the second round? That's ridiculous. The Rams. The Rams, four picks ahead of the Bears, took Daryl Henderson. Look, I okay, he's fine. I get it. Take Dave Montgomery, man. I don't... Oh, that makes me so angry. I hope I was wrong. I hope he's a bust. That That is infuriating. But I'll be all right. I'm going to be fine. No, but lots of really good guys here. Um, I don't think, as much as I've said in the past, you know, the Packers need a pass catcher. I also... I think we need an every-down guy. Now, do we need a guy that can also catch passes? Yes. But he's he, he can't just be a, a good receiver and nothing else. And that's kind of the problem I have with a lot of these guys. And it, probably a lot of the guys that are left are... You know, the Justice Hills that are just scary. Like, they can take it from anywhere. But, I mean, if, if there's injury problems, do you want him being your every-down guy? There's some concern there, I think. He'll get to the outside real fast. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want him between the tackles so much. But anyways, on my list, number one running back, um, Rodney, and- Rodney Anderson was number one. Now, I've been tweaking this a lot because I just didn't like how it <laughs> the way it, it kept falling. But uh, Rodney Anderson's a guy I haven't really watched all that much. I did watch Gerald Henderson because he was top of my list for a while. Um, and again, I, I like him, but he wasn't as impressive as I thought considering he was top of my list. But Rodney Anderson is absolutely number one, so that's a, a great option if he's available. I really don't have very good grades on the running backs, which I guess speaks somewhat highly of the system that I've built here. But there's the, only, the only two guys with very good grades, uh, which is 80 or above, 82.56, I have Rodney Anderson, and then Daryl Henderson had an 81.3. Everybody else's 70s or below. Part of the problem that I had with uh, the, the system that I have with grading for running backs is that he so many people break the scale, and Rodney Anderson broke the scale, and where he broke it was his elusiveness grade. So I make every single thing out of 10 points. The problem is when you get crazy stuff like elusiveness, which are just numbers that PFF uses, and I'm not sure how to quantify these numbers, and you start going through and you're like, okay, so this, you know, Karan Higdon had a 44.9, and, and uh, Nico Evans had 97 point this, and Elijah Holyfield had 70, and it's like, all right, well, let's make it out of 100, we'll divide by 10, that'll be our answer. Well, then you get a guy like Devin Singletary, who has a 138.3, and it's like, all right, well, that doesn't work. But you don't want the outliers to completely ruin it, so you got one guy with a 10, and everybody else drops it a 4, so it's kind of hard to figure out a scale. Well, I kind of got it figured out and dialed in. And then Rodney Anderson comes along. You know what his elusiveness grade was? Or his score? 272. What, what am I supposed to do with that? So he's, he's, I think, the only person I have that just was over a 10. So I made everything out of 10. He's a he's got a 15.15, so it's kind of cheating. But he 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 broke the scale, man. It's not even close. The second highest was Darwin Thompson, who's actually third on my list. I should see if he's available. He is, yeah. So Darwin Darwin is is available. But that that's crazy, man. And I think I'm going to be doing that today while I'm watching the draft, which I got to hurry up because we got about an hour. But I got to watch this guy because that that kind of elusiveness is ridiculous, unless it's a typo. But I don't think it is. Next highest guy I said was Darwin Thompson, 176. So you've got starting with, so there's 10 guys out of my list of, I have 41 running backs. Only 10 of 41 have 100 or higher. And it goes 101, 106, 107, 109. That's how it starts. Josh Jacobs has 109. Then it jumps a little bit. 128, 129. David Montgomery had 129. Another jump, 138. Another jump for Daryl Henderson at 156. Another jump of 20 for Darwin Thompson. Then it jumps up 100 to Rodney Anderson. That's crazy, man. Oh, oh, you know what? I lied. He also broke my breakaway scale. He has a 10.62 out of 10. So I, 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 I got to stop this podcast so I can just watch this guy because his breakaway 
um, I don't know if this is a – it can't be a percentage. That wouldn't make any sense. There's no way he has a breakaway run on 79% of his runs, so that can't be what we're talking about here. But if you look at this – I wish I could just screen share this with you because it's everybody – and, again, it's hard to quantify because you got – L.J. Scott was zero. Apparently he's never had a – what I don't know what a breakaway is, like 15, 12 yards or more or something like that. But then you've got, you know, 13, 19, 20, and a bunch of 20s, and a bunch of 30s, and a bunch of 40s, and then, you know, a few 50s. And then it jumps to 70. So it's like a slow climb, and then it jumps to 70, and that's Daryl Henderson. So big breakaway percentage. Then it jumps to 79, almost 80. So it goes from 50 to 70, and then from 70 to 80. And the 80 is Rodney Anderson. So I, I don't know, man. I'm getting, I mean, again, this is all just spreadsheet stuff, but there's there's got to be something to it. And sometimes you watch it, and it's like he's just got a really good offensive line. You know, Oklahoma's offensive line is solid, whatever. Scheme, you know, they pass a lot, whatever. It's overinflated, fine, but I still want to see it. Still have to see this. Oh, see, he did it with not tackled, too, which, which I guess goes with elusiveness, but he also broke my not tackled uh, grade grading scale. I think this might have been like percent not tackled, and it's not tackled on first contact. And for him, it was 54.6%. So more often than not, the first guy to get to him doesn't bring him down. He's the only one over 50%. The high, next highest was James Williams out of Washington State, 443 So again, that kind of goes to the fact that I don't think it's scheme. I mean, to some degree, it's probably scheme, but if, if, he, if he's making 54.6% of the guys that touch him miss or, or he just doesn't go down, that's crazy. Now, the problem here, relative athletic score, not super great, but that's true of a lot of guys. This running back class just isn't very good, and there's just not a ton of athletic guys, and a lot of the athletic guys are just the pass catchers. you got Alex Barnes, Miles Sanders, Justice Hill, Divino Zigbo. Right, these are the guys in the nine, and you got to kind of work your way down. He's got a five. Oh, you know what? I don't even think that's true. I don't think he ran. I think five was just my place filler, so I don't even know what his, what his I should look and see if that's been updated. Maybe he had a pro day or something. So anyways, this isn't supposed to be the, the Rodney Anderson podcast, but I, I just, I found that interesting that he was, he was so high in so many categories. Now, the, the problem is apparently I looked into it. He had an ACL injury that probably is going to drop him a little bit. Also, I was looking up on the, uh, the draft network just to see what they had said. And I'm looking at um, uh, Kyle Krabs mock-up here and in his little summary at the bottom, he says he's probably going to be better off in a gap power scheme. And although he does have loose hips, and probably could be used in an outside zone. It wouldn't play well to his strengths. So maybe it's not the greatest uh, fit, but uh, his comp was Jay Ajayi, at least by Kyle Crabb. So I wouldn't be too upset with that. Although Kyle, uh, Jay Ajayi was an available free agent that the Packers did not call. So that doesn't speak too highly of this. Oh, geez. And then I just flipped over to uh, Joe Marino, and he elaborates on the red flags. 2018 season-ending ACL tear. 2016 season-ending fractured vertebrae in his neck. 2015 season-ending broken leg. Yikes. Three out of four years, he was out for the season with an injury. All right, so that's why he's falling. Got it. So anyway, whatever. Take it for whatever you want it to be. Um, I'll be sitting on, uh, probably be sitting on Twitter looking at my sheet and just kind of updating kind of thoughts and whatnot if you're interested. But uh, real quickly, just want to run through a couple more names. I'm just looking at a list here that was posted by uh, uh, Josh Norris, it looks like. But uh, Hugo Amadi, safety out of Oregon, Bryce Love, I mentioned. Dalen Mack, I really, really, really like. And I've been talking about um, been talking about Rennell Wren for a long time, but basically Dalen Mack is, is, is Rennell Wren. Same kind of guy, just that instant penetration, crazy, crazy football player. Uh, Drew Tranquil at linebacker. Um, Kelvin Harmon is also another guy at wide receiver that's a pretty talented guy that the Packers could be looking at. James Williams, a running back. Um, 
And then somebody that a lot of Packer fans like, Hunter Renfro, would be somebody to keep an eye on to be a slot guy out of Clemson. He's a pretty talented guy. I really like him, too. Um, but uh, Vashawn Joseph, Vosine Joseph, however you say his name, and then Ben Burkirvan he has on this list. So a lot of good guys, a lot of potential for, for some high-impact players. Um, I think the Packers have done a good job up to this point, so no reason to uh, no reason to doubt what they're able to do in the later rounds. So, anyways, I'm going to go uh, mourn my running back going to the Bears real quick before the draft, and uh, that'll be that. Enjoy your day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.